few short years ago, I mean, all the big brands and all the big retailers wouldn't have predicted many of the things that have happened to all of us. Maybe we can't predict them, but it's going to happen to us more. So that's something that we have to think about as we're building our plans. The Uniformer. Insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Hello, welcome to The Uniformer. I'm Rick Levine, Executive Director here at the NAUMD. And I am thrilled to be sitting here today with uh, Bob Jetto, who is the CEO of Fetchheimer, a, uh, well, one of the oldest, if not the oldest <laughs> providers uh, in our industry, 175 years, Bob can correct me if I'm wrong, and just a fantastic company. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here, Rick. And, and this December, we're having our 180th uh, party. So, mm. yep, turning 180. You have been at this a long time, my friend. Yes. <laughs> not, not, not me, but the company. I usually start here. What does the CEO of Fetchheimer do every day? What, is, what, is, what do you do throughout the year, Bob? Okay, that's a great question. Hopefully nothing. <laughs> because... If I'm doing nothing, that means we have a great team. My really, my number one job is to hire and develop and and support the best possible team members and leaders that we can. Um, so that's really, if I only had one job, that would be it. And I realize I have many jobs, but you know. You know, you might ask me, well, isn't that what HR does? Well, no, HR only facilitates the process, right? I can I can talk about that for a long time, but that's really what the job is. So I think that is a very contemporary current um, way of thinking about it, Bob. Not every CEO operates that way that or every leader, really. When you listen to, you know, thought leaders like a Simon Sinek or something who and talk about how really making the people around me uh, do better and succeed and shine and have their, you know, uh, success. That is my job is to help them be more successful. I mean, am I saying it back to you correctly? Is that what your, your, your culture is? Yes. Yeah, it is our, it is our culture. And, uh, you know, we, we work hard at it. You know, we don't always succeed, but we work hard at it. You've been at this post um, a while now. So, you know, 15 years is what, if I'm doing the math again, I was five years off on the, uh, the company anniversary, but it looked like about 15 years uh, that you've been CEO at, at a Fetchheimer, which is a public company. It's part of Berkshire Hathaway, which is, you know, which is rare to be a uniform company inside this absolute, you know, uh, monster sized organization, part one parts two and three are are i'm really curious because when i looked at 15 years we had this recession and this terrible um, experience in the us and elsewhere in the 
the late aughts, right? What, 2008, I think, something like that. We had this wild, weird recession and the collapse of a number of financial uh, instruments and organizations. So that's how you come into this publicly traded, you know, uh, company and this in the senior role. And then bookend that with the last couple of years, Bob, you've had to take this company through a pandemic and not only through a pandemic, but, you know, and you could please talk about this, but Fetchheimer principally serves law enforcement and um, military and, you know, and warriors. So, you know, that's during a pandemic, that's all heightened as well. So, okay, what's actually my question? <laughs> I was just fascinated by this time that you've had at Fetchheimer. I guess my question is, do you recognize those kind of bookends uh, in the moment? And how how has that informed you, perhaps? How has, has that shaped what's happening at Fetchheimer or with Bob Jetto, for that matter? Well, I, I think it confirms what you should always be doing, really, whether it's during difficult times or or better times. I mean, if you're if you're being fair and you're treating with respect your employees, your customers and your suppliers, you know, you should be doing you should always be doing that. I, I think it and and try to serve them all in the best, you know, in the best possible way, given the circumstances that we're in. When, when these crises happen, you get to see who operates that way and who doesn't. And, and so, I, you know, I think that uh, Fetchheimer's always operated that way with its employees and its customers and its, and its, and its suppliers to try to be uh, good partners and fair and equitable and, and treat people as you would like to be treated. And um, when, we, when the pandemic began, one of our mantras was be kind because mm -hmm. someone else's personal situation is probably worse than yours. So, you know, be kind. I mean, that's why we were, we're, we're simple minded in a lot of ways. And, you know, that was one of the things that we talked about a lot uh, inside the company. And we also, I think, you know, those, whether it's in times of crises or normal times, communicate openly and clearly with everybody. Be as clear as you can and give as much information as you can. And not everybody does that. So, you know, we, we work hard at that. We can be better, but we work hard at it. Everybody knows this, but I think difficult times bring it out is you better be with good suppliers. And I think everybody has stories about this uh, over the last couple of years, but, you know, you, you better be with somebody that's going to work with you through thick and thin because both ends of that spectrum are going to happen. <laughs> and mm. so uh, we, you know, we've been fortunate that we, we, we were with the right supply chains. It, has everything been perfect? No, but we, you know, we've been successful. We were fortunate enough on February 28th of 2020, which was two weeks before the country shut down, we signed a $100 million contract with the Army to deliver the Army Green Service uniform. And it was, a, it was truly a blessing to get that piece of business. And it also really, uh, what a team, the, the combination of Natick and Army's PEO soldier and Army's contracting um, and AFES also, 
we've had tremendous teamwork during a period of time where, you know, it could have been, it could have been everybody, you know, not, not working as a team, but it was exactly, I mean, it was, it was an amazing team effort on everybody's part to deliver two and a half million units. Now that's, that's ties and hats and coats and pants and shirts and, you know, all kinds of shoes and socks, but, you know, it's like two and a half million units. And, and so it was, uh, we, we learned how, uh, how people can pull together in a time of crisis and still get a lot done. I guess that's, a, that's the bottom line there. That is, that is remarkable, actually, that you, you, you um, well, first of all, congratulations, because I've seen that program in detail and it's beautifully done. Um, I know the NAUMD recognized you with an award this year for that program. It's just it's just really well done. But then to to know that as we're talking, you know, that, that you went through that during this time of of extreme turmoil when people had every opportunity, A, to not work at all or B, to, you know, to not be nice during it because they're freaking out, rightfully so, that the, the sky is falling. And uh, so so that's. Uh, that's wonderful that you were able to do that through this period of time. It gives you faith in man when everybody pulls together and works together to accomplish something. Now, just uh, sorry to dive a little bit in the weeds on that. Uh, a part of the success likely or the as luck would have it, this wasn't a hundred million dollar program for a a you know for a company that operated in 50 countries per se, you have domestic, required by law, you have domestic production to produce for the U.S. Department of Defense, you know, and you do so on a regular basis. I mean, that had to be a bit of like, ooh, well, thank goodness we don't have to, you know, bring everything in from um, from from China or very far away in order to uh, facilitate this. Yeah, we pulled 25 uh, businesses, supply subcontractors together to accomplish it. Um, they were all small businesses except for the fabric mills. Hmm. Um, so, you know, 25 small businesses plus the fabric mills uh, worked together to get the job done. So, yeah, it was it was it was it was quite an effort. Um, and I guess I would say the other thing that I've learned over these last 15 years is I'm glad to be in public. You know, I came out of the fabric business. And so I've always been connected to the apparel business. And, and I worked in Manhattan for 15 years in, in menswear and womenswear. So I would say I'm happy to be in public safety and military and postal uniforms because the highs are not as high, but the lows are not as low. And, you know, uh, I think during the pandemic, we saw in retail the lows and the highs uh, were enormously dramatic in, in regular retail. So, you know, I'm glad to be in the uniform sector because, yeah, it's it's it was tough, but it's not nearly as tough as it was in, you know, regular retail. Amen. So many businesses fell off a cliff just, you know, instantly because yeah. of that. So we didn't we didn't have to deal with that. Um, back to. Um, hiring and developing the best team members, I guess my other job is to uh, pick the right people. And, you know, what we're looking for, we're looking for integrity, intelligence, and drive. You know, we, we can teach them the uniform business if they have that, those three things. 
And then we want to put them in a position they love because if, if they really like the job, everybody wins, you know, they're happy. The company does well because of it and the customers benefit. So we want to get people in a job they love. And, and then we want them to, you know, as you said earlier, we want them to, to enable them to make decisions more often than not, they'll make good decisions that if, if they're the right person in the right job, they're going to make decisions that positively serve customers and help the company grow. The other thing that we, I try to preach to, our, to, to team that works for me is uh, you're better at your job than I could ever be. So why, why would you, why, why would I get in your way? Right. And so that's, we try to, promote that uh, thought process so that people do feel comfortable making a decision. And, and if you make a mistake, so what? Just don't make the same mistake twice. Okay. I especially love that one to let, let go of perfection. You know, the, I mean, the other things I do, I don't just work on hiring and developing people. I mean, listening to our end user customers is a, is an important part of the job. Um, I love to do that. Understanding, you know, what they need, where the gaps are in product or service, it's then my responsibility. But by listening, it allows me to then apply the, the funds, the funding to the right opportunities because I know our, I've heard and know our customers need it. So that's why I mean, the company could operate well without me ever hearing from a customer. But when it comes to figuring out what to invest in and what to fund. The more I hear and the better I'm informed, the better I can support the right things. I like to get involved in product development, especially, you know, uh, from the fabric side. And uh, it's, a, it's a little funny because I tease our product development team. They're always welcome to tell me to mind my own business, uh, that <laughs> they don't need my help. Um, but we have a, a fun and running joke about that, but I, I enjoy it. And, and I like to participate when, when I'm permitted to. I mean, you're not an uninformed participant. So I'm sure they appreciate that because you spent, you know, what 20, you know, the 20 years or the first part of your career, as you mentioned earlier, was in the textile, you know, in fabric world at, at Burlington. And, you know, that, that I'm sure informs your decisions and your want, want, um, desire to participate in specification decisions and product development, correct? It, it does. But like I said, I recognize that they're better at the job than me. So they can, they can tell me at any point in time, you know, we'll take that under consideration and we'll let you know what we decide. Got it. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, we have fun with it. Try to, try to keep it light. I, I guess the, the last thing going back to the, the lessons from the pandemic is more so than ever, I think life is about service. You know, people want what they want when they want it. And that provides opportunity for our company. I, I think it provides opportunity for anybody who's willing to invest in those things that, you know, improve service. Where do you see, so that's 15 years. <laughs> uh, so where do we see the next 15? Where do we see, 
you know, given your background in textiles, given what you and your product team, you know, uh, are working on or, or, or being requested to work on from customers as you're listening to them, you know, where's the crystal ball? Where do we see either, you know, assisting the, the, the war fighter or assisting, you know, law enforcement professional or, you know, um, where, where do we see the biggest needs, do you think? The needs are evolve down the same paths that we've seen evolution. We just talked about service. So, you know, improving service is, I think, instrumental to, ser <laughs> to serving people, right? And, and so whether it's military or public safety, they want what they want when they want it needed. And the supply chains have to get better at that, clearly. A significant thing that uh, is evolving is where are the textiles made in the world? And then where is the apparel sewn in the world? Or, or in this country even, um, because they're, involving, they're evolving on both fronts. You know, textiles require capital investment to make fabric you're talking 25, 50, $100 million for, you know, to have a modern mill. And so, and, and that, that modern technology is what makes great fabric. So uh, we, will, we will acquire our fabrics where uh, the investment happens to make the best fabric. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's evolved over the last 40 years and it's gonna evolve over the next, you know, five to 10 um as the economics drive it apparel takes a little bit of capital takes a lot of uh sewing well-trained sewing operators and uh so you know we're going to make the product where we get the best where we get the best fabric and where we get the best garment manufacturing and you know we manufacture around the world now we've manufactured for the military and, and the post office everything is made in this country and will continue to be, and you know we're very supportive of that. But it, but within the United States, you know where we sew product has evolved, and you might ask me how, and I would say that throughout the Great Resignation, uh, we have had to move our U.S. production to factories where they can hire people, and we've also, I mean, we have the good fortune of having capital, so. We've invested, whether it's in our own factories or in subcontractors, we've invested in automation that allows us to de-skill the sewing operation because it, it, we, our, fact, our sewing factories have to be pretty flexible. So you can't automate it completely yet. However, you can make it so that I only have to load and unload a machine and I can teach Bob Jetto that in a day. <laughs> as opposed to how to sew a shoulder or sew a crotch in taking me, take me 16 weeks to teach him. So we've invested in a lot of automation to allow us to uh, be able to hire people and get them to work quickly. And, and quite frankly, not have them, you know, give up and quit. That's a, that's an important step here. You don't need to do that necessarily when you're manufacturing abroad 
but in the United States, you, you really do. And oh, by the way, it improves quality too because the, the consistency of the uh, automated machine, me just loading it and unloading it allows me to improve quality. The machine won't look up at the clock and accidentally miss, you know, miss something. Uh, uh, that is huge. And I was actually gonna ask you about can technology, you know, um, solve some of this that you were describing where, hey, we've got to move around. So for decades, we've been moving around the world looking for labor. And, you know, and then the pandemic sort of gave everyone a wake up call of, oh, we can't take that for granted anymore. We can't just assume we can do it wherever we want and basically for free ship it wherever we want. Right. That's all out the window at the moment. Right. And so I, I, I am a huge believer in uh, technology and that uh, that automation, you know, uh, that you're speaking of. So it warms my heart to hear that, okay, well, you're making good progress in that area because that will allow for reshoring if that's of interest, you know, to others in our industry or even nearshoring that, you know, that could help with that. Um, but I understand you're also, you know, manufacturing around the world. You help militaries in, you know, a number of countries. And, uh, uh, the same eventually, I imagine, Bob, will have to be considered in those places as well that, you know, those those factories or is that that's really a whole century later? I, I don't have a I don't have a good enough uh, set of lenses to know that. Uh, I would say that when you're choosing a partner, whether it's in the U.S. or or somewhere else, you know, you really do want to first know if they have the quality mentality because it is a it, it's it's an attitude and a mentality and it starts at the top and so the factories that you're working with um you real the apparel industry and the textile industry is a very mature industry you know it's mm -hmm. one of the oldest in the in the in the world and so you know uh i always like to say that anybody who tells you that they can do something uh, that is too good to be true. It probably isn't true uh, because everybody has tried to cut every corner. So uh, you really do want to set, you're not, at least we are not looking for the cheapest of the cheapest of the cheap factory. We're looking for the factory that will do produce great quality at a reasonable and fair price. We want them to make money so that they can uh, be our partner for 20 years. Um, and we do have manufacturing partners here in this country and around the world uh, for 20 years. So yeah, we're looking for, we're looking for the right uh, mix of quality and communication and value. I love that. The, there's this expression uh, called stakeholder capitalism. And I, this year was inspired reading the book by the author who's um, who is the one of the founders of the World Economic Forum, and and he, uh, you know, he talks about how that has to emerge as the way we do business, uh, the way we build enterprises. Uh, that stakeholder capitalism is where every participant in our world, right? So you mentioned customers, you mentioned supply chain, you mentioned employees, you have investors, you hit right that everyone is taken uh, into account and and that everyone can 
uh, feel uh, a positive experience from you know the enterprise if you will and and i i really believe that that's the only path forward that we have you know you know we could get too philosophical about it and say that okay well you know capitalism hasn't solved everything and but neither has you know a completely you know um socialist state let's say you know top down like a china nobody is solving every problem but stakeholder capitalism feels to me like the closest we have to a potential utopia for uh, a modern organization, a modern company. And honestly, Bob, it feels like for many of the things you're saying, you're already incorporating that philosophy naturally into your approach. What do you think? Well, I have to admit, I'm from a small mill town in Western Pennsylvania. And so I don't really know much about philosophy. <laughs> I, I missed that class. But but I, but I will, uh, I will say that I didn't know what stakeholder capitalism was. But yeah, I mean, any good business, I mean, you have to, you have to take care of all the four things you said, you know, your employees, your customers, your suppliers, and your shareholders. I mean, that's makes complete sense to me. Um, I think that uh, going back to uh, what you were talking about earlier, you know, something that we never, for, for many years, for the majority of my 42 working years, we didn't worry about geopolitical events hmm. affecting our supply chains. And in this very, you know, a few short years ago, I mean, all the big brands and all the big retailers wouldn't have predicted many of the things that have happened to all of us. And so whether it's transportation or China or, you know, the cotton issue in China or, you know, polyester be getting shorted there's all kinds of things or mills now mills in europe shutting down because they can't get natural gas i mean those things were foreign to me and to us during most of my working years and it seems to me that maybe we can't predict them but but it's going to happen to us more <laughs> so that's something that we have to i think think about um, as we're, you know, building our, building our plans. And I, I think that things change faster than ever. So you got to be on your toes. Things change faster than ever. We didn't think that that was possible. <laughs> that, you know, it used to be we, we could get our news summarized, you know, uh, weekly, and that was sufficient. And then, you know, so we, so uh, in the US, it became Time Magazine, you know, a century ago, that helped us summarize the news weekly. And then it became, you know, the daily newspaper was really the you know, the go to. Uh, and then now your daily newspapers late, you know, often, you know, you've already heard about it from somewhere. And um, so there's that, that it's all sped up uh, really fast in the moment. Um, but I think you're also pointing to a larger, you know, macro trend of, you know, things uh, around the world are going to change um, much quicker than they used to, that you cannot assume that um, who could have predicted, you know, um, the Ukrainian, you know, uh, conflict, you know, no one could have predicted that. Uh, well, it, Putin could have predicted it, but uh, no one could have predicted that. And the and then the huge, you know, effects that that would have on uh, on, on European supply chains and, and what you're describing. It's huge. 
We are, we are a niche business. Our industry is a niche industry and it is affected on the supply chain side. It's affected by what the big boys do, what the brands and the big brands and retailers do because they can consume capacity in any given place at any given time based on what they, you know, choose to do. And so, um, it'll be interesting to see how that affects our niche industry. Um, because as the big boys change, so do many other things. We, we, we have the benefit of the Berkshire Hathaway backing, you know, we can, you know, pe people want to do business with us because, you know, they know they're going to get paid. Um, they know we're not going anywhere. They can trust us and so forth. So we have a, quite frankly, we have, we benefit because people will stick, stick with us. You know, they, they can trust we'll be there. Yeah. Well, the fat timer has been there a long time. Isn't the, the legend that you made uniforms for both side of the United States civil war? We did. Yes. Yeah. The Fitzheimer family floated down the river from Pittsburgh in uh, the 1830s settled in Cincinnati, opened a, a dry goods store uh, shortly after that. And, you know, they were making uniform. We're on the Mason Dixon line. So they're making uniforms for both sides. And um, it's, it's quite interesting. I've met a few Fetchheimers over the years. None of them are involved in the business and not, not for a long time, but their, their name's still on it. So they're very, some of them are interested in knowing, you know, how things have gone. Um, when we had our 175th celebrate, 175th year celebration, we actually rented the Fetchheimer Mansion in downtown Cincinnati. They did pretty well, obviously, because they built a mansion, I think, in the 1870s or something like that. So it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun. My family was still in Italy. They were, they were here building a, building a mansion in downtown Cincinnati. Well, then the Jettos caught up. Yeah. So, so what's interesting is, is uh, even back then, uh, yes, only domestically, but being on the Mason-Dixon line, the geopolitics became a, <laughs> a driving uh, influence in how the company operated. <laughs> yeah, how about, how about that? Never thought of that. Yeah, well, they came from Germany, too. So there's two more connections in World War One and World War Two. The Fetchheimers came from the town of Fetchheim in Germany. Oh, that's where it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which was common, you know, back in the day to either be called by your profession or where you're from or, you know, right. what have you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, back to this idea of predicting the future, because, you know, that's one of my favorite pastimes, you know, big science fiction fan. So is there a fantasy, you know, besides us being able to help, besides us being able to provide good service, because we are a service industry and we are in a niche industry you'll like this one someone said to me the other day it was like well rick the riches are in the niches i was like hmm. oh that's so good i'm gonna keep that one <laughs> so you know is there a fantasy of where the industry might head uh yeah again like i'm from western pa so i'm not that great at fantasy either but uh i i, I will say this that i i truly believe that the world is changing quickly. And if you just look over the last 10 years or 15 years and 
what was fantasy 10 or 15 years ago, there are things that are reality now. So, uh, so while I'm not good at predicting it, I definitely recognize that it happens. And the you know, fabric technology, garment construction methods, it's moving quickly. And, you know, it's our job to bring those uh, capabilities and concepts to our, our world military, public safety, uh, postal, uh, stretch fabrics or something that have come, you know, they were, they've been around forever, but they're coming to our, our uh, public safety business now. We'll need to bring it to our military dress uniforms sometime in the near future also, uh, and postal, because, you know, particular women have known it for a long time, but men have now, uh, realize that stretch in their garments is is a wonderful thing and so i mean that's just a very very small example of technology in a in a small way coming to an industry um we've been working a lot on uh virtual sizing because we want to make it easier for people to get into the right size so we've done quite a lot of work on that and that that that'll launch in the not too distant future um, and it, it's the holy grail for people like Amazon. You know, if, if Amazon, when Amazon solves it, I mean, can you imagine how powerful that is for them? So I'm not even, that's not even a fantasy. That's a, that's a reality that will happen soon. You know, our, our opportunity really is to identify the things that are happening in the world from an apparel standpoint or a textile standpoint and bring them to our community. Mm. So you'll, you, you have seen that from Fetchheimer. You'll see more of that from Fetchheimer. Um, because I, I like to, I like to say, you know, Berkshire has given me the keys to the car. So, you know, we can make decisions quickly on which direction to go and, and just, and, and do it. Um, what Warren tells us is, it takes 20 years to build the reputation and five minutes to ruin it. So if you think that way, then you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll do things in the right way. And, you know, his really, what he asks us is to run the business with honesty, integrity, and emphasis on our customers. And it starts with the CEO. It starts with him giving us that message. Then it starts with me in our business is, you know, we have to operate always with honesty and integrity. And, you know, it's so wonderful because when you're dealing with public safety and with military, they, they expect that. That's how they operate. Mm -hmm. And so um, when they're dealing with a company who operates that way also, then um, it's sort of a good fit for the industry. I love that. Well said. I've always respected Warren Buffett. He, you know, I've always felt like he, you, you kept giving me a little bit of the, uh, shucks, I'm just this, you know, country boy from uh, Pennsylvania. And he always felt to me like someone who didn't lose touch with reality, that he's like, no, you know, we live in the real world. You have to, you know, you have to treat people the way that you want to be treated. You know, you know, you and he said it much better. I shouldn't try to repeat it back, but I, but I respect the hell out of it. I like to end typically by asking 
would you recommend the uniform industry to a recent college graduate or to children, a niece, a nephew? You know, um, what about our next generation in this industry? First of all, I see some really bright young people coming into our industry. And as you and I have talked many times, I think we have to uh, support them, encourage them, help them uh, succeed in the industry. It's a good one. What, you know, what makes a good industry? Well, the first thing is having good customers. Because if you don't have good customers, you don't have an industry. And, and we do have, we have great customers who, who it's very uh, rewarding to serve because it's military and it's public safety. So not every person coming out of college is going to enjoy, you know, supplying uniforms to the military or the public safety. But if you have that in your blood to begin with, it's a great industry because you're serving people who do really amazing work. And can, can I make a career there? Well, of course I can, because the military and the public safety are always going to serve an important part in our communities. And so I know the industry is going to be there. I know I have good customers. Then I think you ask yourself, well, do those customers care about your products? And, you know, that's, they do. I mean, military officers, military uh, enlisted, uh, public safety officers, firefighters, they really value what they wear. They're told they have to wear it and they're proud to be wearing it. So they care about your products. You know, I had, I had the good fortune to uh, go twice to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff's uh, residence to fit him in his new Army Green Service uniform. And, you know, he was very particular about his uniform. And he said to me at one point, he goes, I guess I'm really being a pain here, right? And I said, sir, I said, if you don't like uniforms, I said, I really have a problem. I said, I, I love the fact that you love uniforms. Um, so no, I'm glad you're very particular about it. So I, I think it's a good industry to be in. Um, I guess I would say this last, to get good at anything, they say you have to spend like 10 years at it, right? You got to see the chessboard 10 years if you want to be a good chess player. You got to make 10,000 10, swings if you want to be a good golfer. So, you know, there's, there's time and there's space in the uniform industry because you know you have good customers, you know they care about the product, um, you know they're going to be there. There's time to invest your 10 years to become that expert, I think. So, yeah, I think it is a good place to be. Well said. Excellent. I love that answer. We, we, you know, we're supportive of, of that next generation, of, of giving the, the hours and the 10,000 opportunities to become you know, uh, of service to these great customers of ours. Well said, Bob. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. You're welcome. Yes, I'm happy to do it.